show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes, even an interview with the most popular folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff, one episode just ain't enough. everyone and welcome to police off the cuff real crime stories i'm your host bill cannon i'm a retired 27 year veteran of the nypd today we're going to take upon the uh the shooting in new mexico a lot of new facts have come to light a lot of new uh sort of uh tactics or, or rules and regulations that weren't followed some recklessness the district attorney there said she's not ruling out indicting and arresting people on this case if it reaches the level of uh, gross negligence, uh, they can be charged with involuntary manslaughter. She wouldn't commit to who she was going to charge or if she's going to charge me, but she refused to rule that out. We're going to show today or tonight how many rules were in fact just not followed and what they're supposed to do is composed to what they did do. Uh, with me tonight is my, my co-host uh, in all things law enforcement, straight out of Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. How you doing, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy, and it's a stellar cast tonight. I love it. It sure is. And we have in the upper right, we have a defense attorney, retired NYPD police officer, Joe Murray. We brought him in tonight to discuss the law and the possible criminal as well as civil ramifications of this case. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Good to see you. Good to see you. And uh, Phil, you can, I, since Steve Gardell is your friend, I'm going to let you introduce him. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're very pleased to have Sergeant, retired Sergeant Steve Gardell present tonight. He did such a great job the other night that we had him on tonight again. And he's a 22-year veteran of the NYPD. He had seven years in the movie TV unit as a sergeant, uh, 10 years as, uh, as a sergeant. Now he's a technical advisor with Jay Boss. Uh, that's James Bodner on set support. Uh, he works on a few uh, different projects that are going on throughout the New York City area right now. And uh, welcome to the show, Stevie. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me back. Steve, you definitely gave a stellar uh, performance the last time. So we That's had you on again, but this is it. This is your last. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you do a good job here. I want to I want to play a little bit before we dive into this. I want to play a little bit of the press conference uh, that the New Mexico police gave. And one of the things I said early on in this investigation was th there was a hundred people that worked on that set and the, all the, all the interviews should have been done in one day. I'm telling you that right now, because once you wait more than one day, what happens? They lawyer up, they get counsel, they start talking to each other. They don't remember anything, you know, and they, because they're being coached. I don't think they did that. Uh, I don't think they had the manpower to do that. That should have been done. So let me play a little bit of this uh, this pref press conference, and we'll we'll see what the New Mexico chief of police had to say here, as well as the district attorney. Put that on the screen. 
morning, everybody, and welcome to the uh, Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office. Can you raise the volume a little, Bill? Yeah, I'm trying to do first that. Foremost, first and foremost, I'd like to offer our condolences to the Hutchins family, a speedy recovery to Mr. Souza, and our concern for the safety of all the men and women in the industry. On Thursday, October 21st, 2001, at 1.48 p.m., we were dispatched to Bonanza Creek Ranch in reference to a 911 call advising that two people had been shot on a movie set. The first deputy arrived at 2 o'clock p.m. and EMS arrived at 2.01 p.m. It was later de determined that Helena Hutchins, the director of cin cinematography, and Joel Souza, the director, had been shot while rehearsing a scene on the movie Rust. During the initial investigation, it was determined that actor-producer Alec Baldwin was the person that fired the weapon. We identified two other people that handled and or inspected the loaded firearm prior to Baldwin firing the weapon. These two individuals are armor Hannah Reed Gutierrez and assistant director David Halls. All three individuals have been cooperative in the investigation and have provided statements. Over the last few days, our investigative team has been working diligently to conduct interviews, execute search warrants, and collect and process evidence from the scene. During this process, we determined that there were a limited amount of movie set staff present in the area where the actual incident took place although there were approximately 100 people on set. Through the execution of search warrants, we have collected about 600 items of evidence. These include, but are not limited to, three firearms, approximately 500 rounds of ammunition, and several pieces of clothing and accessories. We believe that we have in our possession the firearm that was fired by Mr. Baldwin. This is, the fire, this is the firearm we believe discharged the bullet. We also believe that we have the spent shell casing from the bullet that was fired from the gun. The actual lead projectile that was fired has been recovered from the shoulder of Mr. Souza. The projectile was recovered by medical personnel where he was being treated and turned over to the sheriff's office as evidence. We regard this specific spent casing and recovered projectile to be the live round that was fired from the revolver by Mr. Baldwin. We have recovered what we believe to be possible additional live rounds on set. All the previous mentioned items, along with other items of evidence, will be submitted to the FBI Crime Lab in Quantico, Virginia for analysis. We are working thoroughly to gather all the facts of the investigation, continue interviews and further, further analyze the pro and process the evidence. I wanna ensure the victims, their families and the public that we are conducting a thorough and objective investigation. In reference to possible charges, it's too early right now in the investigation to comment on charges at this point. The investigation will continue 
And if the sheriff's office determines during our investigation a crime has occurred and probable cause exists, arrest, an arrest or arrests will be made and charges will be filed. Otherwise, we will complete our investigation and forward the full investigation and evidence to the district attorney for review. Before turning it over to the district attorney, I'd like to thank our investi investigations division for all their hard work and diligence in this case, the Santa Fe County Public Safety Department, EMS and RECC, and the local FBI office for their support and assistance in this case. Also, uh, the district attorney's office staff that has been working side by side with us during this case. I'd like to introduce first judicial district attorney, Mary Carmick Alweiss. Good morning. My name is Mary Carmack Altweis, and I am the first judicial district attorney. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, which includes, my jurisdiction includes Santa Fe County. I echo the sentiments of Sheriff Mendoza and want to send my condolences to the family, friends, and tight-knit film community impacted by this tragedy. We mourn the loss of Helena Hutchins and the injury to Joel Sousa. I also specifically want to thank the Santa Fe County Sheriff's Department for so thoroughly and actively investigating this incident. Our office appreciates your hard work and together we will ensure that this investigation is held to the highest standards. I speak to the prosecutorial perspective here and I must emphasize that a complete and thorough investigation is critical to DA review. We take the corroborated facts and evidence and connect it to New Mexico law. And we are not at that juncture yet. If the facts and evidence and law support charges, then I will initiate prosecution at that time. I am a prosecutor that was elected in part because I do not make rash decisions and I do not rush to judgment. I rely on facts supported by evidence, cooperative and credible witnesses, and I cannot stress the importance of allowing the Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office to continue with their quality investigation that is both serious and complex. So at this point, we will open it up to questions. What kind of bullet was found? Sheriff, Sheriff, can he ask you, so you said there's a white round. I don't think we need to hear the questions. I think that because uh, we, we're going to have our own questions developed here. Now, Steve, uh, I'd like to start with you. Uh, you've been following this case. Many things have gone wrong. One of the biggest things that went uh, wrong was the armorer apparently didn't check the gun at all because there were three live rounds in that gun, from what I understand now. And then it was handed to the assistant director who handed the gun to Alec Baldwin and said, cold gun, which means... It, there's no live rounds in it. You want to elaborate on that about the things that were gone wrong by your standards as you know the movie uh, business? Well, the first thing, the biggest thing is that there shouldn't have been live rounds anywhere near that set. I mean, that, that's a big no-no. There's, there's no there's no reason in a, in a film production where a live round would play. If they wanted to show something being uh, look like it was hit by a bullet, they use what's called squibs, which are uh, small... Um, small little like explosion firecrackers explosions that are handled by the special effects crew um the the other big thing is, is that uh steve look at the so that, screen is that's what that's what you your average blank looks like so <clears throat> that's not a projectile on the top what's on the top is the the shell casing is actually crimped 
and uh so so there's no there's no projectile in in that blank uh, on that blank it's just a, the, the shell casing is crimped and it's stuffed with uh the uh the gunpowder okay um the the other the big the the next big thing is that the only person handling the firearm and the only person interacting with the actor and handing the actor the firearm is should have been the armor uh while the first ad is in charge of safety on the set he shouldn't have been the one handing the gun to uh to alec Baldwin. he could have said hey i want to I, I would like to see it can you show it to me can you show what's in there um but i it, it, did he load do we know that did he load the gun the first ad do we know that I no he just talk about that he just I don't handed the gun so. he, he so, handed it obviously didn't look at it so uh, so the question is did the armorer hand the first ad the gun and say hey there's a cold gun again or did he walk over to the prop card or the armorer card where the rounds of the guns uh, are kept and did he just take it upon himself to take a gun and be like oh okay here this is a cold gun or did he look at it so so a, so a dummy round which so what, what i've heard is that they were doing a close-up scene and they wanted to see the head of the bullet in the cylinder so they would use for that what's called the dummy round so now what we're looking at is is a is obviously a real a real round so what they do for a dummy round is they they would uh uh hit the they would uh hit the primer make make sure the prime is dead and then they would remove the gunpowder and they would put inside it like a tiny little pellet uh or a tiny little um ball and then they then they put the projectile the bullet back into the shell casing so now the way you know that that's a dummy round being a prop person or an armorer is you would shake it and when you shake it you can hear that little uh, pellet a little ball inside the shell casing and you also can see that the primer is depressed so you know that it's a dummy round you know that that's not that's not a real round uh so now but uh, you know if you look at it it looks just like a real round you know there's a projectile if you don't if you don't shake it and you don't check you don't know to check the primer on the back then it looks exactly like a real round <clears throat> so i don't know if the first ad assumed that there were no live rounds uh on set and just figured well this must be the the rounds we're looking for this must be a dummy round and put those in there uh like i said there's a million different ways it could happen i mean they said that they were taking target practice so you know off duty i mean that's that's just insane i mean i don't know how somebody else in the sets is what, what are you doing with re you know real bullets i mean it's just a, a known thing um i mean another thing is is that the gun was real the gun was real and when i say real most guns are real but they're modified and i guess in new mexico they're allowed to do that i think uh they're allowed to use a real firearm but they obviously they only should, are supposed to use blanks but a gun like that in new york city there would be a welded plug in the barrel of that gun and usually in the cylinder there would be uh welded plugs which is with uh in every hole of the cylinder which would stop a regular sized bullet from from going into the gun so you wouldn't be able to put a bullet in into that cylinder and then close it now let's say they they in new york they wanted to do this uh, a scene where they wanted to see that head of the bullet so even if they did they had a gun that didn't have welded plugs within the cylinder because they wanted to put those dummy rounds in so you could see the the head of the bullet in the cylinder on a close-up there would still be a welded plug within the barrel and by chance if by chance somebody had a live round and they put it into that gun 
the projectile would never be able to leave the barrel. It would it would destroy the gun and possibly hurt the the person's hand who was firing it. But but the projectile would never leave the barrel. And and they've tested um, they've tested it. Like the specialist who, who who does these and modifies these guns, they've actually tested it. So a projectile wouldn't even leave the barrel. So that's this another, is uh, that's this another. is the actual gun, I believe. It's a forty-five caliber. And one of the things that I didn't realize was that these guns are single action. So to get them to fire, you have to cock them, uh, which is right here when you see the uh, the uh, trigger being pulled back, and he's got that spur with the hammer that locks into place, and then it goes in. The gun goes into single action mode. If if I had to guess what they were trying to do. Because they had no, they had no. Well, actually, I don't know this. I shouldn't say that. But I, I, there hasn't been any mention of plexiglass in front of the camera. If they were going to shoot a full load out of that gun, a full load blank, most likely they would put some kind of protection for the camera, and they would, you know, they wouldn't have anybody standing behind the camera unless absolutely, absolutely necessary, where the camera was had to be moved or focused at that time. But they could do that from a distance. Um, so I assume that what they would, what I think they were doing. Is they wanted to load dummy rounds, no blanks, all dummy rounds in the, in the gun, and they wanted him to pull the trigger and then add it after in visual effects. I mean, that's the only reason why I see he would be pulling the trigger, uh, yeah. so they could add it later in uh, in visual effects. If they Phil, were I expecting to... a blank to go off, right? Absolutely not, Phil. I wanted to ask you something, and I, I raised it a little huh. bit earlier. It was the fact that there there was a hundred people that worked on this set. The most important people were the people obviously in the church when the gun was fired and uh, so, so the director Sosa who's on the right and Helena Hutchins, Hutchins is on the left. Those obviously uh, the most important people but Helena Hutchins was hit in the chest and the bullet apparently exited her and hit uh, Mr. Sosa in his shoulder and that's they, that's where they recovered this piece of ballistics, or at least the uh, medical personnel did. So we talk about how powerful a 45 caliber round is. And now getting back to the investigation, everyone that was in that church, of course, they're the most important people, but there's a hundred people working on that set. You want to speak to every single one of them because they can speak to the safety or lack of safety precautions on that set. You want to comment on that, Phil? Bill, what we know right now is this set seems like it was out of control, running amok of sec safety regulations. There were gross acts of recklessness and gross acts of negligence that apparently took place. I mean, Steve brought up the fact that they were taking target practice with a real gun on the set just in the days prior. Now, you brought up all the people that were actually inside the church during this the moment when the firearm was uh, was fired and, and struck the two people. Now, th this gross negligence negligence resulted in injury and death. Now, we're not talking about, you know, a splinter in somebody's finger. Someone died. That young lady died and the other person was injured. So uh, I think anybody involved in the production, whether they've been uh, a gaffer down the block or somebody in catering that saw them firing shots, in the days prior, I want to interview everyone, not only the people who were inside that room. And Bill, you made a great point that it needed to be done immediately. Uh, I heard on the press conference today that uh, Sheriff uh, Mendoza gave 
uh, that there is uh, some requests for follow-up interviews. They claim to have interviewed everybody on the day of or subsequent to, to you know, the shooting happening. But he mentioned that uh, there is a request for some follow-up interviews. And he said that they're going to be coordinating with attorneys that some people have retained counsel. So, again, you brought up the point earlier, Billy. This is something that should have been done right away, right from the jump. I think that's how we would have gotten right to the bottom of all of the things that were going on on this set. Defense Counselor Murray, I have some really good questions for you. Now, in the beginning of this investigation, obviously everyone that was interviewed uh, did it voluntarily. No one lawyered up. But now, after a couple of days go by, the word lawyer starts being said by people coming out of people's mouths. What you know? What is the difference between telling the truth right away or telling your story without counsel right away in a situation like this, and then days later? Uh, I, I mean, I would think the three main players, uh, uh, Alec Baldwin, obviously, David Halls, and Hannah Reed Gutierrez, they probably at this point should have attorneys. And I don't think any statements they make from now on are going to be voluntary. I think they're going to say them with their attorneys. You want to comment on that, Joe? Yeah, I just want to comment, you know, not so that you interpret the presence of a lawyer so negatively. There's for good reason that that a lawyer would would do well to counsel their client before speaking to the police. Naturally, just by the plain language that the person uses, you know, you want to be careful to use the right words that are accurate and you're not just, you know, summarizing something that it could be interpreted later, you know, misinterpreted what you're actually saying. So that's a lot of what we do, especially me. Like I get called ahead of time when the police are on the scene, they're going to make an arrest and I'll, you know, try to get in touch with my client. They want to surrender, you know, so if there are going to be any statements, I want to make sure that they're the right statements. They're accurate statements. They're not overstating what happened or can't be misinterpreted. So I think it's important uh, for the principals. I don't see any liability for the for the food uh, person or, you know, like only those three people, I think, would have the liability because of the custody of that weapon. That's a real gun. I mean, in New York City. But, but Joe, 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 just to get the big picture of what that set was like, because this is not only going to be a criminal charge, if charges are made civilly, this is going to be, this is going to go on for years. There's going to be multi-million dollar lawsuits for wrongful death, obviously. Sure. And, you know, the liability goes to the entire production company, the producer, uh, the director, all of those people are responsible for a safe set. And this set looked like anything but that. So that that's why I'm trying to bring out the fact that there was 100 people working on that set. They should have been all interviewed day one. Locked them into yeah. a statement because a day goes by, they're not interviewed. Guess what? They're going to change their story. They're going to meet with an attorney. They're going to talk to each other. And they're going to say, what would you say? What did I say? Or what did he say? And, and then you can't get the truth. So you got to lock them in day one. And then, you know, when they want to change the story, well, yesterday you said this. Is it this or is it that? You know what I mean? Yeah, you're 100% right. On the civil end, not so much the criminal end, on a criminal end the civil end, 
there's an insurance company at play here and they have counsel, whether it's private contracted counsel or their own, that they will send out immediately and they will tell everyone, you know, not to speak and to only speak to us and speak to us first. Don't write anything. Don't prepare anything. No incident reports or whatever. They'll try to keep statements to a minimum. You're absolutely right. From from a civil perspective, I was just speaking to the criminal perspective. I think there's only those three parties that, you know, really have liability. Have there. criminal liability. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Bill Kwiatkowski, thanks for the $10 super chat. And thanks for that wonderful comment. NYPD, you're my heroes. God bless you guys and your family. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank we you. really appreciate it. And uh, we appreciate people that appreciate us. Absolutely. You know, Joe, one of the things I wanted to actually read, and I went and I pulled up some people in the chat are saying this is an accident. Yes, it, it, I don't believe there was malice in this or there was intent. However, it may be fit under a statue of maybe negligence or recklessness. And this is Billy, the, the, the Sheriff Mendoza, he stopped the press conference today when he said uh, one of the reporters threw a question at him, you know, and used the word accident. He goes, I'm going to stop short of calling it an accident. This is a criminal investigation. He made that point. So uh, I, I think what you're about to read is probably uh, very relevant. He made that point. He went out of his way to say it's not an accident. This is a criminal investigation. You know, 100 percent. And one of the things I want our audience and everyone else to realize is that yeah, this is a tragedy, and it does look like potentially an accident. Is there criminal liability? Potentially. But the biggest victim of this, of course, is Helena Hutchins and her family, not Alec Baldwin. You know, I feel for him. I, I don't believe he had any malice in this, but she's the biggest victim in her family. I'm going to read the statute for manslaughter from New Mexico. Involuntary manslaughter also involves a killing that occurs while the defendant is gauging is engaging in a lawful but dangerous act without exercising due caution and circumspection. Involuntary manslaughter is a fourth-degree felony punishable by up to 18 months in prison and a fine up to $5,000. An example of involuntary manslaughter may be a fatal traffic accident caused by a driver who is texting while driving. So if that arises to the, uh, the, the uh, statue of not showing due caution and circumspection, then I think this certainly could, and I don't say is, but certainly could. What do you think, Joe? Absolutely. I mean, you know, just I have to say, after listening to Steve's show, it was so educational. Me as a lawyer, I was asked to comment about this, and I really just felt incompetent, like I wasn't able I wasn't aware of the prop master and the armorer and their functions and roles. And because this is all going to be based on what the standard of care is and how much of a deviation from that standard of care it was. If it's a gross deviation from the standard of care, that constitutes reckless conduct sufficient to form a charge of uh, manslaughter. So listening to Steve talk about the duties of each of these people in that chain of custody of that firearm to and even Alec Baldwin's duty because if he if he as an actor a very experienced actor only receives a weapon from an armorer who will break the gun down show him it's loaded unloaded what it's loaded with how many rounds he should expect to fire and then is instructed, give it right back to me. Like, Steve, when you broke that down for me, 
I said, Baldwin's in trouble because I'm sure that didn't happen. And if he did not receive that instruction, then his duty to make sure that that gun is safe is heightened now because he can't rely on the armorer who normally will do that for him. So I, I think there's liability all around here. You also, know, Joe, they shouldn't have been pointing the gun uh, directly at anyone. Right. You even mentioned that, that even when you fire it, you're not supposed to fire at that person. You're supposed to fire away from the person. There's so much here that really screams out, you know, gross deviation of the standard of care. Well, Joe, you know, when we talk about uh, criminal liability, we talk about, as you know, and I don't want to stand up here and give a, a lecture, but culpable mental states of mind, which uh, I used to tell my students, you use the acronym RIC, RIC, recklessly, intentionally, criminally, negligently, or knowingly, right? And there was no, could it be reckless? Yeah. Was it intentionally? No. Was there criminal negligence? Possibly. Knowingly, there's a lot of things that are unknowingly in, the, in this potential thing. But there is still very much so, and they were very careful to say that, Criminal liability is a big possibility here. Hey, Joe, I got a question for you, Joe. The sure. fact that Baldwin is in uh, on-location producer, now he has an added responsibility and a duty to, to protect the, the, the crew and the staff. I mean, the fact that uh, the, the girl who was the armorer, she, she described herself as uh, a young novice, self-doubting and still learning the fact that they had her in there. And I think Stevie might've hit the nail on the head when he was talking about the bullet that has no gunpowder in it. They, it, they, you know, the firing pin hits the primer, it's expelled. So the primer is dead. They take the gunpowder out by removing the, the projectile, but they put a BB in and it looks exactly like a regular live round. So maybe she somehow or another, uh, since she's the armorer, I'm not going to point fingers at her, but she's the armorer. She may have loaded that gun thinking that they were the, the, the dummy rounds for the shot that Steve was talking about. They wanted to see it inside the chamber of the of the revolver. So uh, with that said, um, now he's got a, he's got a, a responsibility because he's an on-site producer. Now, you think that they could put him in the trick bag for criminal charges based on that? Or what? when you said you thought he was in trouble, where were you going with that? Well, let me just address the producer role. First of all, I don't know the duties and responsibility of the producer. If that is the standard of care that a producer is supposed to ensure the safety of, of the actors and actresses on, on the set, yeah, that, that's going to heighten his responsibility. When I say that he has trouble is I believe that it was the AD that handed him the firearm. And if that's not the standard of care, that only the armor is supposed to present the weapon to the actor, explain the weapon to the actor, what it's going to fire, how many rounds it's going to fire, or if it's not going to fire at all to show that it's empty or the barrel is plugged or modified in some way to ensure the actor. Because I... I I, I really felt it when Steve said a lot of these actors want to make sure that this is not going to hurt anyone. But if if Alec Baldwin, a very veteran actor, if he knew or should have known that only the armorer can present this firearm to me and make it safe and explain it to me, and I did not receive it from the armorer, then I think that's a gross deviation of the standard of care 
rising to the level of recklessness, and he could be charged with manslaughter. You know, uh, um, Joe, the the assistant director, David Holtz, admitted to the police that he never checked the firearm. So, I mean, it's not his job to check it. But he's the one that handled it. I think he's definitely being charged in this. And I think that the armor is going to be charged too. Baldwin, I think he's got some culpability here. I, I was going in that direction with the, the fact that he's the, the on-site producer, but I think those two are definitely being charged. And well, you know, Chief, Chief Mendoza said that it was obvious that um, the armor wasn't telling the truth because there were actually three live rounds in the gun. This is what he said during an interview. And, then hand, hand it off or the AD grabbed it and he doesn't check it and then hands it to Alec Baldwin and says, cold gun. So all three of them, you know, and, and, and the law says, uh, do caution and circumspection. Did any of those three exercise that? Well, I, I, I just want to say with regards to Alec Baldwin and then defer to Steve, if the standard of care is that someone will hand you a prop gun, so to speak, prop, it was a real gun, and as long as they give you the, the you know, term of art, cold gun, then you can rely on that. If that's the standard of care, he has no criminal liability. But, and this is where I want to get from Steve, if the standard of care is that only the armorer maintains custody over that firearm, loads it, will explain it to the actor and direct the actor, even after firing it, you stay here and I will retrieve it from you. Like that safety protocol, if that was not followed and he should have known that, then it heightens his duty to make sure that gun is safe because it was a deviation from that normal standard. I mean, I, I can't see a scenario where where he, he he would be liable. I mean, being being such a big talent and being a producer, if he was creating a certain type of culture on set where people were afraid of him and it was always like, hurry up and go and I got to get back to my trail. I, I, like I said, I don't know this. Uh, this you know, I don't, I don't know what he was like on set. But <clears throat> if, if for some reason, let's say the armor wasn't there, let's say she had to use the bathroom and you know, Baldwin didn't want to wait five minutes for her to come back. And he starts screaming at the first AD. And now the first AD is worried that he's going to be fired if he doesn't do what Alec Baldwin says at that moment and runs and grabs the gun off the prop table. Then, and, 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 you know, then, then there's kind of a problem. If he, if he was creating that kind of um, climate on set where it's like, you know, I, I got to do it. I, you know, I, 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 this has to get done or I'm going to get fired. And it, and it kind of forced people to override, um, to override the safety, uh, then then I could see him being uh, I could see him being in trouble. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things he could have did. I mean, I've seen actors on set after they were handed a gun, like in that in that case, and the and the, and the, and the actor be like, "So this gun's safe, so nothing's going to come out of this gun." And and you know, the armor would be like, "Yeah," he's like, "So I could pull the trigger right now at the floor." And they'd be, "Yeah, go ahead, pull it as much as you want." And they wouldn't. They would, you know, and they would check. You know. Billy, when when you did Perfect Murder, now I was in a couple of scenes uh, where they actually fired, but it wasn't it wasn't a real gun; it was a prop gun, and it sounded like a cap gun. But they actually went over to the actor that it was going to be pointed at, and again they pointed it; they didn't point it directly at him; it was off to the right, and they showed him this is the type of gun it is. It's just an electronic; it, it throws a charge. So I would think that that would be the standard of care that they should follow with a real gun, 
You know, I mean, they should be showing them, whether it be the armor or, or AD, whoever. Now, it, it, I guess it's up to the actor to, to say, I want to inspect the gun. No. I think, that, I think that should be part of their procedure, whether it is or not. That should definitely be part of your procedure because firearm protocol, as you do, and we've heard this said by range officers our whole career, give it a physical and visual inspection to make sure that it's empty. How many times have we all heard that? Every time you finish firing, they yeah, say I mean, that. As, as a Every tech advisor, when we, do, when we do gun training, you know, we, we train them how to fire the guns, but the first thing we do is we go over the uh, the the four uh, important rules uh, about gun safety, and they're not even firing live rounds. They're firing blanks because it's New York State. They're not allowed to fire a, a gun if they don't have a gun license. But uh, So they're being taught. If there is gun training, a lot of productions don't want to pay for that. A lot of productions don't want to pay um, for the actors to get gun training. But what, Sounds what like I, the NYPD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't want to pay to train us either. But they, when something goes wrong, they will say, "You need training." Yeah. But, but what I've what I've noticed on set, like you know, the act is it's more of a common courtesy thing. Like he, you know, they they don't like guns. They probably haven't, you know, a lot of them haven't dealt with guns. I mean, some of them do. Some of them have gun permits. They're like, "Yeah, I know what I'm doing," you know. But it's a common courtesy to the other actor they're pointing the gun at, you know, or well, or well, cheating the angle, but pointing it in, in that act is the other act is director. So it's like a common respect, like, well, I'm going to make sure the gun that I'm firing safe. And not only that, the person that, that they're shooting uh, in the direction of will also be brought over sometime and be like, can we, let's see, let's see this. And like I said, the armor, you know, we'll show them, we'll show them. All right. This is why it's a dummy round. This is why it's fake. Or if it's, if it's a, um, uh, like a quarter load, which or, or a, a New York load, which isn't as powerful as a you know, uh, a full load. The armorer will fire around right at his hand because it's such a uh, nothing. It's not going to hurt you with that range, but he'll just show you. Look, it's is okay. that why most armorers are missing hands? <laughs> Holds in their palm late, late in their career, they're missing a left hand. <laughs> no, well, you can't do that with a full load. If you did that with a full load, you'd probably burn your hand, put a hole in your hand. Right, right. You Let know? me just play a bit of this and. Uh, Updating our breaking news right now, we're learning more about a deadly accident on a movie set in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Moments ago, we learned actor Alec Baldwin fired the prop gun that killed one person and injured another. The victims, crew members, are on the Netflix Western film Rust. 42-year-old director of photography, Helena Hutchins, was rushed to the helicopter and then taken to a local trauma center where she died from her injuries. 48-year-old director Joel Souza was also injured in the accident. The movie starring Baldwin and Francis Fisher had just begun filming at the Bonanza Creek Ranch. Baldwin actually shared a video or actually shared a photo from the set of Rush earlier, Rust earlier today while in costume. Production has been stopped for the time being. Hello, I'm Mark. You know, one of the things we learned that on this set, uh, and we're hearing a lot of different things, that union employees walked off the set the day before. Some said uh, safety. I mean, it's easy now, to, uh, you know, uh, that things went wrong to say, oh, I walked off because of safety reasons. But, you know, I'm sure every movie set, they try to cut corners. They try to save money. The crew was being housed an hour away from the set. And when you work 13 hours or 12 hours a day, you're not in the mood for an hour ride. But that's, you know, they signed on to do this movie, you know, we, we were made to do a lot of things with the NYPD that we didn't want to do, you know. And when we had to work, you know, uh, five days in a row of 14-hour days, 
we they didn't put us up at the Waldorf. You were lucky to get a dorm room and wherever you worked, right? And uh, so, you know, maybe some of these people are whining. Maybe there really was bad conditions. I don't know, but uh, well, certainly some certain people. union rules, though, that guarantee them, you know, it's what they're accustomed to. I mean, there's, there's certain union rules that say, you know, if you work a certain amount of hours, we got to pay for you to stay in a hotel so you don't have to travel home if the turnaround's too short, you know. Yeah, like the Port Authority police says that they get put up in hotels after that's yeah, in their, they, that's in their contract. I swear yeah, to God, they get a hotel room. Billy, could you do me a favor and put up the forty-five again? I just want to make a, a quick point about it—the sure. one, that, the gun in question—and I I think this might play into the scenario of what happened. Now, you you mentioned that it was a single action, which would mean that you have to pull back the hammer. The hammer is that piece that's by the guy's right thumb and you see the firing pin on it now if the gun was handed to baldwin like that now when you cock it back the amount of pressure that will release that hammer and strike the bullet is only about a pound or two whereas if it's a double action it could be anywhere from nine to 14 15 pounds of pressure which is a lot it doesn't what i'm trying to get at is it doesn't go off that easily so if he was handed the gun like that cocked and they wanted to get a shot of that uh, that projectile, he could have accidentally hit, or I'm using the word accidentally, even though they're saying it's not an accident. He could have accidentally let that round go. Maybe he wasn't even supposed to pull the trigger. They were just trying to get the shot, but the gun was, you know, in the shot they wanted it cocked or whatever. And again, it takes only a pound or two of pressure, which is not much to release that hammer to strike that, uh, that turned out to be a live round. You know, Phil, I don't know if any of you guys have the uh, the baby Glock. It's it's a you know a smaller version of the Glock 19. It's maybe an inch smaller and it holds less rounds. But after the first shot, it goes into single action mode. And I was shooting it at the range one time, and I can tell you one of the shots I did not intend for the gun to go off, but I had put enough pressure with my finger that it in fact, thank God I was at a range, that it in fact went off, and I was surprised. I was really surprised. So like, as you say, when a gun is cocked, right, the pressure to pull that trigger, it takes very little to, to make the gun go off. Absolutely. But I, I mean, want to also make it clear, though, this gun didn't go off by itself. Someone pulled the trigger. You listen to some of these news stations. Oh, it misfired. What does that mean? What does that mean? The gun just has a mind of its own and fired? No, he pulled the trigger, period, you know? Yeah, whether it was pulled intentional or unintentional, that's exactly how that round went off. Uh, the firing pin has to strike the uh, the round in the back, you know, the primer, and that sets off the uh, the explosion, and it sends the projectile through the barrel. So, listen, the bottom line is what Steve said. In New York, they use guns that have, uh, you know, there's something welded inside the barrel as well as the chambers. It couldn't possibly happen uh, in a New York uh, set, so to speak. So, I mean – the, the rules have got to change. And I think that every actor, I mean, now knowing this, you should demand, not ask, you should demand. I want to see that that, that gun has a, a plug in the barrel and I want to see what kind of a round it is that you put in there. You know, uh, there's probably really no need to even use real guns anymore. Well, you they, know, there should be a national standard on this, just like a lot of things should have a national yeah. standard and they don't. But Easy. maybe that's now. a constitutional tenth amendment. I knew that was gonna get you. <laughs> I woke up the attorney. You know, with that, let's go to his commercial. <laughs> Joe Murray, attorney at law, president accounted for. 
Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. And his telephone number is 646-838-1702. That's 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's joe at jmurray-law.com. Folks, this is D, and D is a court stenographer, but she also has more talent than that. D owns a company called D's Designs, and there it is on the screen right there. And what better way to honor our first responders than a personalized Christmas ornament that will act as a reminder of their hard work and dedication. Each ornament is three by five inches wide and can be customized with a name, a badge number, a county, etc. There's also room on the back for an engraved personal message to your favorite first responder. Each ornament has a few different variations depending on your likes. Please contact us and let us help you create a very unique gift for you to give to your first responder. Please leave all details in the customization box for name, etc., on the front of the ornament. And if you'd like an inscription on the back, leave those details in the customization box as well. You'll receive a confirmation before anything is printed. D's-Designs-107.myshopify.com. You can also go to policeoffthecuff.com, and D's ad is on our website. Folks, if you like Police Off the Cuff, if you like uh, real crime stories from a police perspective, please subscribe to Police Off the Cuff. Go to our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, ring the bell, give us a thumbs up. 43, oh, excuse me, 46% of you watching tonight are not subscribed to us. What are you doing to us? Why? You don't like us? What, what's going on? You Come know, on, you got to you gotta subscribe. You know, you, it costs nothing to, to subscribe. You go over to, if you don't know how to get on YouTube, get a 16-year-old daughter, son, neighbor, anyone, bring them to your house, show them, they'll show you how to get on YouTube and subscribe. Because 46% of you are not subscribed. So I don't want to beat a dead horse, but please subscribe. Joe, you, Joe, you getting any action from these commercials? I think you are. Sure, yeah, yeah. People, I guess people know you. A, a lot of people. You know, I was me, doing. Wait, I want to make sure you're the Joe Murray from Police Off the Cuff. Why is another one? You, you, you know, this morning I was doing coffee with Cannon. You know, I do that little show from my yard, yeah. and people wanted to hear the Joe Murray story. Tell us the story about how he got oh. arrested. <laughs> I said he yeah. won't mind me telling it because he already told it on two of our shows. So uh, yeah. I told him that story. But there's a guy named Joe Mure, M U R E. Oh, Joe Murray. And people mistake us. So that's why maybe they've called him and they're like, wait, I'm looking for the Joe Murray from Police Off the Cuff. Are you the police officer? <laughs> so it's there's another guy. attorney named Joe Murray. It's Murray, M U R I. Oh, M-U-R-A. I think it's M-U-R-I, no? Murray, he's a great guy. We're friends, but but that happens where people mistake, his clients mistake me for him and, and my clients mistake him for me. That's the kind, that's kind, of, kind of, of guy. But if, Joe, if, if he's taking your action off the police off the cuff right, side, yeah. he's not a good guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's him, Phil. Billy, he's got these kind of clients, you know? Oh, yeah. my God. I would just say Joe Murray's the guy on the side of the Dinty Moore stew can. Right? <laughs> <laughs> put, a, put a yellow hat on him. The, the, the yellow hat. They'll never mistake you. You lost the fisherman. <laughs> well, listen, That's right. That's federal right. government. Stop with that federal standard. You could say industry standard. 
You know, that's what I meant, Joe. I, I meant yeah. you're right. I meant industry standard because uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Somehow or another, if the federal government got involved, they'd be in our pockets. Some way, somehow, we'd pay for whatever it is that federal standard. So I agree. They with you, totally Joe. flipped it. The, the states were supposed to be all powerful, and then the federal government had limited powers. That's totally been flipped. Right. And even now, like criminal law, do you know the DWI National Point Oh Eight standard? That is totally unconstitutional. The only way they could get that is the carrot and stick. They went with transportation money. I said, if you want our federal transportation money, you have to adopt this 0.08 standard. Because other than that, it's unconstitutional. So they voluntarily enacted it to get the federal funds. But it's just, it's horrible. I hate it. I hate the federal government encroaching on our powers from the people and the state. Which on that? Well, I didn't even sign up for this law school class, and because <laughs> I'm getting a free, I'm getting a free lesson. Steve, he's right though. He happens to be right. He happens. Steve, to be I, right. I want to go back to you because I mean, you obviously have a ton of experience working on movie sets. If you were writing up uh, rules and procedures for the handling of firearms on a movie set. Would you model it after the New York model, or absolutely. would you just? All right, well, tell tell us a little bit about that. Don't just say absolutely. <laughs> uh, well, uh, for example, in armor, whenever there's uh, you know, whenever there's uh, guns that are going to be fired on set with uh, uh, blank rounds or any guns with moving parts, because they have a lot of times they have uh, these resin guns, which are solid plastic guns. There's no moving parts to them, so you could you know the only way you're going to hurt somebody is to throw it at them. But so. Uh, those a lot of those sets just the prop master will just handle that he'll, he'll hand them out but any any time that there is uh, a firearm with a moving part uh an armor should be on set and they should be handling it and, and they should they should always be on set and i think that uh, these productions they should do gun training more often i mean I, I like i said the shows that um that i work on for uh for jimmy bodna uh, they 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 always uh, they don't they don't cut corners. They usually always do the gun training, and the actors always thank us, and they always feel um, better about handling the gun, and they and they feel safe. And we do, and you know, we teach them. We we teach them with the specialist to cheat the angles. So that's something that they're taught. It's not just something that's known. If they if they get that gun training, so now they know they know not to not to point the gun in an unsafe direction unless you're willing to you know don't point at anything you know you're willing to uh, kill or destroy. Uh, be aware of uh, what's behind and in front of you know in front of your target. Um, always keep your finger off the trigger until you're ready to, until you're ready to fire. How many times have we been taught, taught that? I mean, how many times uh, yeah. you're walking up a stairwell or someone's behind the door and you're standing to the side of the door, your finger's always off the trigger. Right, you never right, correct. have you because you could get startled and pull the trigger. Right, it doesn't we, take that much pressure. Yeah, and we also explain to the actors. I mean, depending on what what their character is, but if they're a law enforcement character, it's going to be drilled into their head that their finger is not going to go on that trigger until they're ready to fire. But you, you know? know something, Steve? Sometimes cops actually inadvertently pick up bad habits from watching TV and movies. You know. Where did you ever see this? How many right. cops have you ever right. seen do that? Yeah. But isn't that the standard way they do it in movies? Yeah. Because it's, it's dramatic. No, it's like. No, no. Right. No, well, the gun doesn't go up there. Or, or how about firing this way? Well, that's gangster. I hate gangster. Yeah, I hate that too. That's up to that. I, know, we, that. We, I always say the actors. I mean, you know, 
do what you think your character would do, but that's not really the right way to fire a gun. But if, if that's how you, you know, so we just kind of give them the, 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 um, you know, how to handle the gun and the safety aspects of the gun. And then, and they kind of do what they want with it. But, um, and, and Steve, those are with guns that could not possibly fire a projectile. Correct. Right. Right. They, and, and well, even when we train them, we're at a, we're at a legit range, but they're not, um, they're not handling a real gun. They, well, they're handling it. Well, it's it's a real gun. I mean, if it's a let's say it's a Glock. I mean, you're putting the magazine in the gun the same way you would uh, a regular magazine. You're, you're racking the slide back same same way you would, and the only difference is that there's a solid plug, and it's and it's blank rounds. So so it it doesn't have the same recoil as a gun because there's not a projectile leaving the um, the, the the gun. But, you know, there is, a, you know, it, it, the sound and just that noise and that the power of, a you know, of these blanks going off, especially if it's a full load, it just gives you an idea kind of what it's like to shoot a gun. Right? I just so want to comment on uh, Britastic 174. I think I'm the only person in the chat who isn't damning Alec Baldwin. I want to know the full story. They said production just started, and I don't think he handled firearms often in previous roles. Yeah, we're not, we're not. in the getaway. He, yeah, he. I'm sure he's right had the top of the head. I, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of other films he's had. Right, I'm, I'm sure he's had a lot of experience with firearms and movies. But we're not beating him up because yeah. he's Alec Baldwin. He's been in the law enforcement world. He's probably universally hated. But we're giving him the benefit of the doubt. I'm telling you, I'm being honest. And he's 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 made numerous antagonistic comments against law enforcement over the years. So I'm just saying he's not well-loved in the law enforcement community. But we're not beating him up. With, he's the one that pulled the trigger. And we're acknowledging it was probably an accident. But did he take due care to prevent that accident? And Joe Murray, that's the law. Am I correct? Yeah, I think uh, this person, uh, uh, what, what was her name? Britannica? Britastic 174. Britastic. If she saw Sergeant Steve Gardell's show, uh, you know, um, appearance on your show, the education that I received there, because I was of the the opinion that he was told it's it's a you know a cold gun that he's clean, that that's the industry standard. Once he's handed a firearm and told it's a cold gun, he has no liability. But that's not the case. From what I heard from Steve about the armor and. The AD never should have handed him the gun. That wasn't his role. It's the armorer's role. When you think about firearms, particularly that this was a real firearm, there's a person who has to maintain custody of that. That person has to maintain custody and make sure, especially I was horrified to hear that this gun was being live fired earlier in the day. If that's true, that's even more egregious and more of a reason to ensure that what's in that gun now is not a live round. So by by virtue of listening to Steve's class that he gave, it was wonderful, the armorer should have been the only person handling that firearm, loading that firearm, presenting that firearm to Alec Baldwin, explaining what that firearm was capable of doing and not capable of doing, how many rounds was in it, when to, you know, to hear I'm going to fire three shots, and then to be instructed as soon as the, the scene ends, I will take that gun back from you. That, to me, sounds like a reasonable standard of care 
especially when you're dealing with a real gun that has not been modified to be safe. And that's the key. In New York, those are real guns, as Steve indicated, but they've been modified to prevent a projectile from being discharged. And some of them, most of them, you can't even put a live round in them. But here we're dealing with a real firearm that creates a higher, a higher standard of care that that armorer should have maintained. And that I think Alec Baldwin, you know, dropped the ball. He should have known that I, the, you know, the, the gun we're dealing with here, I need to be informed, not just told it's a cold gun. I need to be informed what's in this gun. Is it safe? How many rounds are in it? What kind of rounds? And then to be instructed to give it back to the armor after I'm done, because that's a real gun. Uh, I want to piggyback what Joe's saying. You know, the armorer that was on this picture quit, and then they hired this girl, and she describes herself as a novice. She's got self-doubt, and she's still learning. So, again, now, I don't want to beat up on Alec Baldwin, but if he's the producer of this picture and he's got the responsibility of it, I think that some of the uh, culpability is going to fall on him that you were using a person that wasn't up to the job of you know, ensuring the safety and uh, the chain of command of these guns because as the armorer, she should have never handed the gun to the AD. She should have handed it right to Alec Baldwin. And if she would have known 100% that it was safe, he could have asked to inspect it. And then maybe this horrible tragedy wouldn't have happened. You know, there's a lot of things that uh, have to be uh, figured out here with regard to, uh, you know, the criminal investigation as far as culpability. But again, we're not trying to beat up on Alec Baldwin. Uh, we're just trying to point out from our experience. And we have an attorney present. We have Joe Murray, who's a, a big constitutionalist. And, uh, you know, he's given a, a terrific, uh, you know, he, he's looking at it from both ways and he's trying to give his opinion on it. And again, we, we I think we're all in agreement uh, on this on the show tonight that between Alec, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed and David Halls, that those are the three people that are probably, I mean, unless, you know, the, whoever was handling these guns and when they were doing this target practice that Joe talked about, I mean, maybe they could be uh, held responsible or someone that brought the ammunition to the armorer, maybe, I don't know. But I would think at a minimum, those three really are very close to the trick bag. I call it the trick bag of being, you know, charged with a crime. Bronco DLS, very good question. Uh, as a nurse, I'd ask, was Baldwin on meds or drinking when this happened? So many questions. You know, when a cop is involved in a shooting, he gets, uh, they give him a, they make him blow. Like if, a breathalyzer, as if automatic. A breathalyzer as if he's going through a DWI test. Right. If a cop's involved and, in a shooting. And, and he, if he ever fires his weapon. Whether right. So so good good comment, Franco DLS. So I don't think anyone ever thought of that because, of course, the press right away calls it an accident and you just let's let's fold up the tent let's wash our hands and it's over with without any investigation this has to be looked into and there was a lot of problems on this set and uh you know now resulting in the unlawful or death of some of, of a woman a 42 year old woman steve i'm sorry bill the other thing i wanted to mention too, that steve brought out and we touched on it but the standard is not to even point it at, at the other person. When you fire it, you fire it, I guess, off 
on an angle off the shoulder or something, uh, you don't even fire it at. So that's another deviation from the standard, you know? So I, I, I don't know what happened there. I think the investigation, the interviews are so important, but, uh, if anyone has any question about it, they should go back to your other show that Steve explained all this. He even explained, you know, I, I was talking with you guys before the show about the police department. Anytime something bad happens, they add a few more pages in the patrol guide, more procedures and safeguards. That thing gets so thick. Here, you know, with the tragedy of Lee, and I didn't even know the factual basis, and Steve explained, you know, what he had heard happen, you know, that's another reason to be extra sure you check that firearm, not just for the rounds, but the barrel and, and you know, where, whether or not it is capable of, of firing a projectile. Steve, I don't know if you want to talk about that, but that anyone should go back to that previous show I think Sheriff Mendoza would learn a lot by going to that show and hearing. You know, Joe, you know, Joe, he, we don't have to. He's here. Just ask him whatever what question you want. No, I, I can't. I mean, I can't see Alec Baldwin really being held responsible unless it was that scenario that I said that through his his position, his powerful position as producer and as a talent created this kind of unsafe set because it was always hurry up and go and, you know, I don't want to wait and let's do it. So unless that's the case, I can't, because it's not, if, if you go to say, you know, in court, I mean, and you could, you could probably speak uh, better to this than I can, but in court, they're going to say, well, what, what's his, what's his job responsibility? He's an actor. He's there to act. I mean, there is, there is some type of, everybody should have safety in mind, but if you, if you look at what his job, uh, what his job states he does and what he's supposed to do, it's not, you know, it's not the, sa the, the safety of the guns on set. Yeah, but he's, he's wearing two hats. He's a producer, too. So right. he's wearing yeah, but more than a, one. But, but, but. On-scene producer, I think he's got a little yeah, bit more culpability. Not, not, I, I, I don't, there's different types of producers. I, I, I don't think he's, you know, he's acting in the film. The reason he's a producer is because he said, although I think it might be his production company. I'm not sure. But the reason he's a producer is because somebody went to him and said, hey, we want to make this movie. And, he, and he, he's Alec Baldwin. So he's like, yeah, I'll do the movie. And once he said he'll do the movie, they probably got funding for that movie to get made. So that's why he's the producer. That's that's why. So he, you know what I mean? He's not like the line producer. He's not like uh, I don't even think he's probably one of the creative producers. You know, so, Steve. Whenever we think of accountability, we think of the accountability and the standards we were held to as members of the NYPD. And I think it's a lot higher than a lot of people realize. The private sector things happen, and then you see how lax they are. And in fact, I've said this numerous times, probably the best uh, institution in government in New York City is the police department. It runs smoother than any other branch of government in New York City. You see some of the other branches of government, they're disasters. The Department of Education, uh, I mean, I can name a, a ton of them. None of how them about run the mayor's it. office. Losing the mayor's office. A billion none dollars. of them, right? None of them run as smoothly. Department of Homeless Services, a disaster. Uh, you know, Department of Mental Health, a disaster. None of them run as smoothly as the police department. I guess I'm prejudiced because I was a cop and I saw how well it actually did run. And dealing with problems that are unique, of course, to that profession. Well, part of the reason that the uh, sets on um, in New York City are so safe is because the NYPD's right on top of it, right there. Right, tell and didn't them, they just they didn't they, they Steve? Do. Didn't they want to take that away from the NYPD? Aren't they talking about doing that? They were always talking about, you know, maybe this. Uh, 
disbanded in the unit, but it, it's so necessary because because the film com- the film community brings in so much uh, money into the city, and it's such a, a big part of the economy. And there's so many sets going at so many times, and and they always want to do, you know, uh, whatever they can, whatever they can as far as you know locking up traffic and 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 uh, firearms and explosions and you know. So, so we, we really need to, in, in such a big city like this, with so many people, uh, you know, we need to be there. The NYPD needs to be there. And, 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 and I think it runs very smoothly. You know, we, there's, there's, I think it does too. I think yeah, it, I mean, you guys do a great you know, job. There was never an incident that, that, um, there was never an incident that we didn't shut down before it, it got out of control. If, if there was, if, it, if there was even a need to, you know, well, you know, it is because people that in that profession can get outrageous. And they can Absolutely. do things because Absolutely. you know they think, do you know who I am? I don't right. care who you are. I'm, I'm, I'm Sergeant uh, Gardell from the NYPD. Right now, you, you want know. to talk about shutting your movie down for a day? <laughs> oh no, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. Now you're yeah. talking money. Yeah, I mean, listen, we, we, I, I always try to help the reductions get done what they got to do. And as long as long as it's that's the always like I said, it's not going to get me fired, and it's not going to get anybody hurt, and it's not going to cause a gross inconvenience to the public. Then then we can get it done for you. I mean that that would that's really the way. It, you know. And I think Willie DeMeo can attest to that, uh, Steve. They were filming uh, today. Did you get the picture I sent? Yes, yeah. I did. I did. That's Gravesend that they're filming the yeah. uh, the series Gravesend. But uh, yeah, you know, an, another gentleman on the set that I think has some problems is this this gentleman here. I think he's uh, probably next to the armor. It's it, it, he's probably the most because what, so what's the, his title? Is he probably he's he's the first assistant, assistant, director. assistant director? David Halls is his name. <laughs> I tell you the truth, I disagree. I think the one with the most liability is Alec Baldwin. He pulled think, the trigger. I think whoever brought the live rounds to set is going to be uh, that, that young lady's uh, going to have a problem. Yeah, uh, yeah. Hannah, she, she uh, yeah, she's going to have a problem. She she self described as you know still learning and. Uh, what was the exact wording? A young novice. She's got self-doubts and still learning. I mean, she self-describes herself to that. How the hell is she handling real firearms that fire real bullets? That's completely ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I have, I have a question uh, for you guys. What, what do you, where do you think the investigation goes if everybody's denying having loaded the gun? Like somebody's just not. I, I, I think, I think the district attorney locks all three of them up. Process, and I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen, but I think that's what. Uh, if if there's going to be a criminal charges, all three of them have to go. All three Including of them are culpable. Baldwin, yes, of, right. I, I, he's number one. I well, think. But, you see, but yeah, because he's pulling the trigger. But right, yeah, yeah. he's pulling yeah, the trigger. So. That's the the linchpin, though, Bill, pulling the trigger because he may be innocently pulling the trigger, reasonably relying upon somebody's representation about the status of the gun as you know there's no such thing as that because you're supposed to check the gun physically and visually to see if it's unloaded it's come if down it's a real if it's of the right. experts if the experts it, it, are saying no that's not the industry standard then you're going to have a problem there's reason you know you know where i think uh, the ad is going to have a problem if you listen to the 911 caller it was a female, and she says, oh, he was yelling at me. This is his fault. He didn't check it. He didn't check it. So that's a spontaneous statement being made by a person seconds after this happened. So I think that that's going to probably, 
you know, that'll be something that if he is charged would be played in court. I'm sure of it. That's a, a, a tremendous piece of evidence. And then whatever she went on to say, I mean, we only heard a snippet of the 911 call and I'm sure she was interviewed. So me, she may have saw something else. And, you know, they talked about that there was heavy drinking the night before. Uh, people, members of, of the of the cast and, and the set. So, you know, was that, was that when they were taking the target practice? You know, it, it, listen, this is just a guess, but my opinion, it sounds like rounds that they were screwing around with, taking the target practice, got mixed in with the, you know, the prop rounds, and, and this is the tragedy that occurred. You know, I, I don't know this guy, but, you know, the first AD is like the one who runs the set, and they're the one, they're the one who's always yelling at everybody. They're the ones who's always shouting out the orders. Uh, I, I, like I said, I don't know this guy, but the, the people in my experience that I've had to have a talk with, uh, was always the first AV. Well, she, the, the 911 caller said that he was yelling at her when we all, oh, when we had lunch, he was yelling at me, you see what he did, blah, blah. So she was already like unintentionally giving him up as being, you know, somebody that uh, was responsible for this thing. Yeah, I, you know, when you heard that 911 caller, she was already covering her own ass, whoever made that call yeah. and giving up, giving up the AD right, him. right on the, yeah, right on the 911 call. Would, I Steve, mean, would, the, would the first AD ever handle a firearm? No, or is that I mean, just he shouldn't. There's no, nobody should really handle the, hand, the only person who should be handling the firearm is the prop guy if there's no armorer or the armorer. You Case know, closed. So, yeah. You know, but, Joe, great question by Lieutenant Pete. Joe, do you think the key people were given their rights before questioning? Well, they'd have to be in custody to get their rights. Uh, if if they just interviewed them on the scene, that's not a custodial situation. They can, of course, refuse to answer questions. To answer. But the police are only triggered to give Miranda warnings when there's a custodial situation or when there's even... You know, a doubt about it. You know, don't, don't good point. Be interviews on the scene. They wouldn't be interrogations. They would be interviews, and yeah, I don't think be it, would, it would be. It wouldn't be necessary to read the rights unless someone said something that you know they implicated themselves, and then you would want to say, "Listen, you know, I'm going to read you your rights now." It, it's generally whether or not you know the determination of custody is whether or not an objective person would believe they were free to leave. So if you know there are three cops surrounding you with their guns out. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in the precinct or out in the street, you're, you're kind of in a custodial situation that you, you would not believe that you're free to leave. But you know, there's been many times Joe on the street where I had my gun pointed at somebody. You, and you I was asked that, I was now. asked that question by an attorney. Was my client free to leave? And I said, absolutely not, but he wasn't under arrest. No, he was not. But he, and he wasn't free to leave. I said, no. Then what, what, do you, what do you mean, officer? Once I completed my investigation, if I determined there was no probable cause, he was free to leave. And I would right. fill out the necessary paperwork. Because he wasn't under style. arrest. He wasn't under arrest and he wasn't free to leave. A lot of cops fall for that when some nasty, smelly defense attorney starts to ask <laughs> questions like that. But I didn't fall for that. <laughs> yeah, well, you can briefly detain people. You can't. You know, hold them there. They're in custody if you hold them for you know more than like ten minutes. So you—that's a Terry stop, and and you're allowed to briefly detain people to question them, but uh, they don't have to answer. 
No, stop absolutely. questioning Frisk was you stopped yeah. him, you questioned him. And if you feel that there's enough probable cause, you know, you frisk them or maybe they have a weapon. And then if it rises to the level and arrest or like Bill said, I completed my investigation. This isn't the, the person that was described on that radio run description that I was given and you do a two fifty, you know, but that's right. by the wayside now. But you know, uh, Joe, I have, uh, I have a, what if, I have a, what if question. Okay. Yeah. What, what if let's, let's, we won't pick on uh, uh, Alec Baldwin this time. I'll use David Hall's. What if David Halls calls you from that scene and says, "Joe, this is yeah, what happened. I, I, uh, I, I want to. I want you to represent me, but yeah. they want to interview me right now. What, what is the advice you give them? Everyone has the the right to, you know, decline to answer questions. Anyone, you know, even, whether you're in custody or not. Uh, but would um, that wasn't my question, counselor. My question was, <laughs> would would you like would, you would you advise him not to speak to the investigators? Absolutely, I want to speak first before they. So even in the one. situation that just happened, a woman, uh, the director of photography, was shot dead, and what appears to be an accidental shooting. He handed the gun to the actor. He calls you from that scene and says, uh, I, I, they want to interview. I don't want to talk. What, what, what do you, what, what should I do? I'm telling you my advice. My advice is don't say anything until I meet with you and talk to you. Otherwise, if he, if he goes and talks, I could be sued for malpractice. What do you mean you let him talk to the police? Well, I, did you interview him? No, I didn't even interview him. That's malpractice. I need to sit down with him, talk to him. There's nothing that he's losing out of by not speaking to the police right away. He can always speak to them later after we've had an opportunity to speak. You know right. what I mean? Like he's not losing the benefit of, all right, I went in there early and I talked to them. There's no benefit for that. You don't get any. But uh, the, ne know. the next time all three of them are interviewed, they will all be represented by counsel, guaranteed. Oh, they said it already. They, they, they should be. No, Joe, I'm not, I'm not it's on commercial right now. This is great. Yeah, look at this. <laughs> this is like Jacoby and Myers is with us here. <laughs> you know, I, it, it's sad to say, but a lot of times when you do, you know, submit to these interviews, I have a client now that I've known since we were in the car baby carriage together. And because he was innocent and really had, you know, no culpability, he sat down with this former FBI agent who happens to be now an investigator for one of the local district attorney's offices. I'm not even going to say which one. And he sat down with him for two hours. So this investigator took notes, but it wasn't quotes from him. So it's summoned substance. Now his statements have become, well, he said to me and summoned substance. And that's the danger of it. You may think, hey, I did nothing wrong. Let me talk. But all of a sudden, the sum and substance of what you said has a little bit of a different meaning than what you actually said. And now it's your word against this decorated former FBI agent. And what's a jury going to do? You know? So it's dangerous to talk to law enforcement. Joe, people. Joe, I know, I know what I would do. I would call 1-800-JOE-MURRAY <laughs> and I would lawyer right up. I, I guarantee. But in this situation... It seems like all three, of course, wanted to talk, were encouraged to talk, but had that happened and you experience in the law, 
you probably should uh, invoke counsel and not talk right away. And in the same vein, the strategy of the police should have been to get there with about 50 investigators and interview every single person that same day because yeah. stories that they got there where they could lock them in, once you lose them from the set, their stories are all going to change. Yeah. Especially so one Sunday morning, involved, the insurance company will send their lawyers down. Yes. They're ultimately responsible. And they're going to be like a pinstripe suit festival. You know, <laughs> Joe, I, I mean, uh, Bill, I walked in on a Sunday morning uh, and a Saturday night party had gone awry. Five people uh, stabbed, two people shot. One guy was paralyzed and there were about 20 witnesses. Not one of them spoke English. We called around the whole city to get detectives, not only to do the interviews, but also to uh, translate. And, you know, we had to get Spanish speaking offices. So, you know, sometimes there's a challenge, but, you know, you got to reach out, get the manpower and get it done. It is so, so important to, to get those interviews done and lock those statements in because I've said that all, statements will change the next day and the day yeah. after. And once they speak to Jacoby and Myers, well, Murray, Murray and Murray, it's all over, you know? <laughs> you know, guys, I think we're at, we're at an hour and 16 minutes. I think we uh, covered a lot of stuff. I think, you know, maybe if the pe folks that were listening – Maybe I think you understand the criminal liability right now. And it's that even though it appears to be an accident, there's a 42-year-old woman who's dead. There was some really probably gross negligence in, involved in this shooting. Procedures weren't followed. Someone may have to pay the price. And I mean, look, civilly, they're going to they're gonna part with millions of dollars, but you can't bring back Alenia Hutchins with, with money. You know, she's dead. And so someone... Uh, has to be punished for this, I, I I think. I mean, I think even though you can look at this and say, oh, it was an accident. Yeah, and I, I don't believe there was any malice. I really don't. I was spoke there was no intent. But it was there was still some negligence here. Joe, final words. And again, no reading the Declaration of Independence. 20 to 30 seconds. Gotcha. No, I love the show, Bill. Thank you, because I, I always try to sneak in some of my constitutional philosophy into your show, and you let me do it. I love it. And Steve, I just, it was an honor to be here with you. If you don't mind, I'm sending Sheriff Mendoza that, that previous show because it was so educational. Great to be here. Good luck to everyone. And I'm happy to come back. Phil, final words. I mean, Helena Hutchins' family, I just want to offer condolences to them, and I hope that uh, Joel Souza gets better soon. There was that one comment from that young lady that said uh, we're beating up on Alec Baldwin. I don't know if she would feel that way if she was a member of uh, Helena Hutchins' family. So, uh, you know, it's not about that. We're just trying to get through the law here. Stevie, thank you so much for coming on the show. You did a wonderful job, and if you want to uh, promote anything that you're doing right now, this is your time. Thank Steve, you, thank final you. words. Thank you guys for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Joe, thank you. Uh, nice meeting you. And thank you uh, for the very nice comments about the, the show I was on previously. Um, but uh, yeah, no, uh, Jay Boss, uh, <clears throat> Jimmy Bodner on set uh, support. He uh, he does a lot of shows in New York City. Uh, we, we cover a lot of shows, do the law enforcement, technical advising stuff and uh, and gun training, which uh, which makes for safer sets in New York City. You know, having a tech advisor on there. So thank you guys that, for everything. That's outstanding. And folks, again, I'm just going to repeat it. I know I sound like a broken record. And oh, by the way, we, we're not we're not mandated to finish at any time. But uh, history shows us that if you go much past an hour, 
you lose a lot of people from watching. So we try to keep it reasonable. If you go too long, you know, people get uh, they get a little antsy. So we try to keep it in a reasonable amount of time. The other thing is we found out from uh, our producer, 46% of you are not subscribed to our show, but you watch it and you're not subscribed. Please go again, go to YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us the thumbs up, ring that bell. Anyway, great, uh, great show tonight, I thought. Thank you to all the guests. And folks, thank you so much for supporting Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. Have a safe night. Stay safe, everyone. All right, everyone. One episode, just sitting in the dark.